Philippians 3, Part 2, from the sermon series, Contagious Joy, spoken by Pastor Doug Cho. I want to start with some questions. And the question I want to start with today is, what about the cross of Jesus brings you joy? I'd like you to take some time to think about that. What about the cross of Jesus brings you joy? And when you can think of something, does it still give you joy every day? What about the cross of Jesus brings you joy? Does it still give you joy every day? If the answer is no or you can't think of an answer, then what is it that keeps your faith running? Is it obligation? You feel obligated to go to church because, you know, this is what you're supposed to do or you know that this is something that's good for you. Or is it tradition? You know, you've been going to church your whole life. Your family goes to church, so you don't want to break tradition. Or is it fear? Fear of hell. Fear of punishment. See, uh, in, in America, particularly, in, in, in Western Christianity, actually, there seems to be this underlying, subconscious, ingrained, maybe even unintentional belief that if we are good, God will reserve some sort of special favor for us. That if we are faithful, God will hook us up. You know, he will bless his people. And, you know, this is not like a, a completely bad thing. And I, I, I want to shy away from the greedy, self-serving, self-promoting view of this, right? And I want to I take it even to the place where when we believe that if we are faithful, right, God will give me good health. If I am faithful, God will let me keep my job. Or if I'm faithful, God will heal my loved ones. Oftentimes, when you hear these types of prayers, they're desperate prayers. They are heartfelt prayers. They are heart-wrenching prayers. Uh, during my time when I was gambling for a living, I have seen and prayed many desperate prayers. I feel like uh, the places you'll see prayer the most are at a church and at a casino. There's, there's something about just seeing someone who has put in all their money into a bet that they got their money in good, essentially, and then they just lose like that. And you just watch hope in them being blown out like a candle. That kind of loss is, it's soul crushing. Last week, Pastor Sunita talked about the joy of loss. And during her sermon, I actually, I cried uh, listening to her preach. I cried listening to her briefly share her loss. And although her loss was sad and immense, I didn't cry because I was sad for her. Right? I, I, I want to make that clear. I did not cry because I was sad for her. I cried because as she was sharing her loss, 
She was testifying to joy. And you can only imagine the type of joy she must have experienced in order to stand up on this stage here and testify in that way. So if you did miss that sermon, I highly suggest uh, you go watch it right now or after this because it, it was powerful. Her hope in resurrection power is powerful and my soul knew it to be true. So right now, um, I'm actually going to give you the point of my sermon. This is the one point of this sermon. And we need to get this right because there's no added benefit that comes with being faithful as a Christian. Nothing. There is no added benefit. There is no bonus for how many times you're faithful every single year. If there is, then I am sorely mistaken and I have no idea how to attain that. But the Christian benefit package, as far as I know, is a front-loaded deal. The Christian benefit package is a front-loaded deal in that you get access to all of its goods from the get-go. But it vests fully when we go to glory. And it's that the ultimate joy of the follower of Christ is to simply know him and to be made like him. That's it. Last week, we read that Paul considers all his accolade, all his accomplishment, his lineage, he considers it garbage. But that in that one thing, that he may be found in Christ. That is everything. The ultimate joy of the follower of Christ is to simply know him and to be made like him. So we're going to pray right now before we read our text. And as we pray, um, I just hope that you can think about that question. What about the cross of Jesus gives you joy? Is that joy alive? Is that joy in you? Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time. We thank you, God, that, um, you know, although there are hiccups in our service, Lord, we, we thank you, Lord, that we can do this. We thank you, Lord, that we can be in this space, that we have the team, that we have a church that is uh, ready to gather in this way. We bless your name. We praise your name. And God, we ask that you would move and that you would speak. And Lord, we honor your son, John Lewis, whom you've called home this past week. We honor him and we honor his legacy, the work in which you've done through him. We thank you, God, for him. We thank you and we pray, Lord, that we as your people would not forget what he's left behind. May he rest in your glory, God. So we lift up this service to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm going to be reading from Philippians 3, 10 to 21. <clears throat> so I'm going to go back a little bit. Um, to recap, Paul is talking about all that he's done to be garbage, right? Accomplishment, accolade, his scholarship, all garbage in comparison to Jesus. And this is a really extreme view because I wouldn't personally come to you and say all that you've done is garbage. 
thus far, or all that you will do is garbage in light of Jesus, right? That's a very extreme view, but this extreme view is necessary here because Paul really does believe, and he states that all pales compared to, compared to being found in Christ Jesus. Nothing that he has seen or done holds a grain towards Christ Jesus. So verse 10. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I want to know Christ. I think it's interesting for someone like Paul to say this. Paul, who has personally encountered Jesus on the Damascus Road, remember? When his vision was taken from him, when he said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Right, Paul was Saul back then. Paul, who had his vision restored through the servant of Jesus, who also had direct encounter with Christ. Paul, who is an apostle that we learn from. Paul, who writes letters to the churches all over admonishing them, encouraging them, rebuking them, teaching them, moving them forward in faith. Paul, through whom we, we learn so much about Christ's heart for his people and the church. Paul says, I want to know Christ. I want to know him. He says, I'm not there yet. And the language that he, he uses in this text famously alludes to that of a race, right? Paul is pushing forward to a prize. Paul is running this race, and he says, I am not quite at the finish line yet. I have run. I have gone far, but I have not made it to the finish line. And the special caveat of this race is it is already won through Jesus. No one can win this race except Christ. We, as his people, just need to claim the prize. I want to know Christ. Verse 13. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. Right, there, there's that, that language again. I'm not there yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me, heavenward in Christ Jesus. One more time. Again, I am not there yet. I'm not there. But one thing I'm doing. And I think this is also very interesting for someone like Paul to say, one thing I'm doing. Paul has done many things. We can agree. Paul has done Many things. He has performed many miracles. He has planted several churches. He has written many divinely inspired letters. Paul says, one thing I'm doing is forgetting what is behind and straining forward toward what is ahead. I'm forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. So we go back to that extreme comparison 
once again. I'm forgetting everything else. Everything else does not matter except this one thing that I strain towards. Nothing outside of Jesus is worth remembering. Jesus is that which I strain forward to. And I want to give a shout out actually to all those who have sacrificed for faith. All those who have left something behind for their faith. All those who have separated themselves, maybe have excluded themselves somehow from their family because their faith doesn't match their families. Good for you. God knows your sacrifice. God knows how you live daily. And I love that word straining. The Greek more literally translates to reaching forward, right? You're locked onto this target. You're straining out to grab something. And a lot of times when we think of that, we think of all your eyes are just fixated on this one thing. You only see this one thing. We call that tunnel vision, right? You're so focused that we lose sight of all else. But I kind of want to challenge that because uh, tunnel vision, uh, it has this, this implicit kind type of thing where you're just ignoring everything, right? You're only focused, you're honed in. I think a better way of understanding this is that your mind is so focused on Christ, Jesus, that everything you see is through him. So rather than blinders, we have a lens. Christ is not the blinders, right? But Christ is the lens through which we see everything in the world. And I guess I can relate it more to crushing really hard on someone, right? You think about them daily. The food you eat reminds them, reminds us of them. The places you go make you wish that they were there with you. You know, Sonia, um, my beautiful wife, who led worship for us today, uh, my one true love, I love you so much. My baby mama, my ride or die. There is no one in this world like her. I tell her daily that she gives me everything I need and that uh, I truly am blessed by her. But I must say, before I met her, I gave away my heart a lot. I'm not a player, but I crushed a lot. And you know, it's a very taxing thing to do. <laughs> I can't take that seriously. But it's a very taxing thing to do um, when you give your heart away in that way. Especially if you do it with a foreign exchange student. One time there was this girl I met in college one summer. And not that, not that there's anything wrong with foreign exchange students. It's just that during the summer they go away. They go back home. Right, and so she lived in Korea. There was there's a 12-hour time difference there, so you know time zone is a thing. And I was spending $500 on phone cards, talking to this girl, reserving weird hours of the day, so that I could wait for her to tell me that it was okay for me to call her. And then we would talk and say all these things, and you know I'd have to keep renewing my phone cards and just did that every single day. And I thought about her constantly and I missed her 
constantly. But I wonder, do we do that for Jesus? When we pray for a meal, do we pray thanksgiving for that meal because we're truly grateful or because we just do it? When we go on vacation, do we look at beautiful scenes? Do we enjoy comfort and luxury and just desire Jesus to be there with us? Do we miss Jesus? When was the last time you missed Jesus? Once again, the point of this sermon is that Paul tells us that there's nothing more worth his time in this world but to learn a little bit more about God and to be made just a little bit more like Jesus, little by little, every day. Verse 15. All of us, then, who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Paul speaks of a collective we, this mature group, right? And this group is clearly not finished yet. In fact, he says that the further I go, the more I realize that I truly have a ways to go. This group is the mature group. This is the true sign of maturity in the Christian faith in that the longer you run this race, the more you realize there's so much left. Spurgeon says it very well. He says, I believe the holier a man becomes, the more he mourns over the unholiness which remains in him. The holier a man becomes, the more he mourns over the unholiness which remains in him. We must take this stance as a church. And Paul says, if you think differently, don't worry. God will make that clear. That's it's kind of scary. It's kind of reassuring, right? If you think you have it all together, don't you worry. God is going to speak. God will do something. And he goes on to say, let us live in the wisdom that we've been given. Verse 17, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have, have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Essentially, he's saying, imitate us. Imitate us, those who are striving to be like Jesus. And he goes further and says, essentially, live your life out so that you can become an example to those who want to be like Jesus. Imitate us. Watch those who have been running the race and then be an example so that people can watch you running the race. Verse 18. For, as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Verse 18, 
Paul is talking about people who claim they're God's people, but they're not actually God's people. So we can't really be sure if he's talking about the Judaizers who are uh, enforcing and pushing for circumcision onto the Gentiles, or if he's talking about a different group, right? But verse 19 gives us a picture of their hearts. God, their God is their stomach. They satiate all their hungers. They're selfish. They're fixated upon what this world can offer them. They only desire what comes from their earthly desire. And because of that, they become diametrically opposed to what Jesus stood for on the cross. And, you know, when you read that, their glory is in their shame. Uh, in actuality, that's what the Greek is really um, translated really well there. It's, there's, this, there's this weird picture that you get from that, right? Their glory is in their shame. And, you know, one commentator I, I was reading, he's, he, he, he wrote that, this may be Paul speaking about shameful sexual practices that Paul mentions in his letter to the Corinthians. And it makes sense in that context. But it doesn't actually speak to the body as a whole. Right? It's only, only to that context. But when you translate this phrase a little more literally, it's their glory is in the shame of them. And now you got this a little different picture, right? Shame is their driver for them to pursue glory. Glory for what? Glory for self. Maybe glory for an insecurity. Maybe glory for an inadequacy that's built in them through their shame. Because we know that shame is a powerful motivator, an insidious master, Right? Shame tells us things that cause us to hide ourselves, to not be ourselves. It rips insecurities into our flesh. It tells us that you are never enough. You are never successful enough. You are never pretty enough. You are never smart enough. You are never good enough. That is what shame does to us. Shame is an enemy of the cross of Jesus. And that's why Hebrews 12 tells us that Jesus endured the cross and he scorned its shame with contempt. He scorned it because shame is a worthless thing to have glory in. Shame is a worthless thing to have glory in. And when I think about shame, you know, a lot of it goes to social media, right? Social media has so much to do with our shame. It's kind of crazy. The number of followers is a metric for how popular you are or how, how the value of your account, essentially. The number of likes you get on the post is a metric for affirmation of what you're saying or presenting there. I recently discovered this, she's not nine now, but back then she was nine, uh, this nine-year-old phenomenon named Lil Tay. And if you know who Lil Tay is, L-I-L-T-A-Y, Lil Tay, if you know who she is, you know where I'm going with this. She is, or was back then, was a nine-year-old girl that went viral 
for posting pictures of herself or her parents for posting pictures of her wearing just luxury brands and just carrying stacks and stacks of cash. She's riding around sports cars. She's throwing money everywhere. She's cussing. She's calling people all these vulgar things. And people ate this stuff up. Before you judge her, right, you have to understand, she had almost 2 million people following her. People loved this stuff. In fact, she trended for a good amount of time. In fact, not only did she trend, it was a trend for a while for teenagers to flaunt their cash on social media. It might still be a trend for them to do so. Their minds are set on earthly things. I don't know about you, but that's scary. I can't say if uh, the internet or social media or anything like that made things worse. But I do know that if Paul is telling us back then that their minds are set on earthly things, we clearly are suffering from the same problem. Set your eyes on Jesus. There's nothing else that's worth your gaze. Why? Verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. Newsflash, this earth is not our home. And we eagerly await, we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. This earth is not our home. Our citizenship is in heaven. We belong to a different place. We were not meant for this place. A hundred years here is a blip in the perspective of eternity. And so we bide our time here. And how do we bide it? We eagerly await a savior from there. I think that phrase, that wording is very, very important. And you need to hear this right now. We eagerly await. Await. Not, not just we wait for our Savior to come. We eagerly, we hunger, we thirst, we desire for our Savior to be here now. We eagerly await. This is the perspective of the mature group of Christians, of faith runners. Loop it, looping it back to the question of does the cross of Jesus, does anything about it excite you? Does it hurt your heart when you think about the work of Jesus? When you think about how high, how wide, how deep, how long his love for you is, does that make your heart ache? Or have you just been a Christian for so long that this is old news? The sign of a mature believer is that they eagerly await Christ's coming. When I hear Paul say that, I can only imagine the tears that come to his eyes when he thinks about being in front of his Jesus. This Paul who performed miracles, this Paul who wrote much of the New Testament, this Paul who was an apostle, this Paul so who are we to get tired and bored 
by the cross. This is the mature Christian. This is the one who runs the race. This is the one. This excitement, this longing for Christ are not signs of something new and novel. This longing for Christ is death. It's relationship. It's love for a Savior. And upon reaching heaven, there will be streets of gold, homes reserved for us, maybe mansions, who knows, treasures that never die out, treasures that last in eternity. And if, you, if your heaven is anything like my heaven, barbecue buffet every day, all the day. And beyond that, there will be no pain, no weeping. Scripture promises us that. No sickness. I believe no racism. But all of that is nothing compared to the prize in heaven, which is Jesus. When you go there and you meet him, I think of that song I can only imagine, right? Will I dance? Will I sing? Will I cry out? And I think of all the things that I might do or I might say. But knowing me, I think I'll be at a loss for words. I think many of us will be at a loss for words when we finally meet our Savior and we will prostrate to the ground in worship to him, thanking him for saving us, for loving our souls, even though they had no worth, for taking us out of our depravity and for loving us back into health, for scorning our shame, that when we see him, it'll be the best day in eternity. We will never forget it. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you, Lord, for your son. and the work on the cross for who you are. Lord, would you help us to find our first love again? Help us to find our first love again.
during sermon prep, uh, as I was sharing this word with the other pastors, many of them asked, could you share how? How, how can, we, can we find this first love again? I wish I had a formula. I wish I had something I could give you. I just know one thing. I know that many of us in obedience, uh, we give of our resources. Um, we give of, we give sacrificially in that way. I'm realizing for people in our area especially, most precious one is time. Not time in this building, but alone time. Time at home. And I hope that you can take this seriously. But give him your time. Not just for a day, right? Not just for a week just for a month but I think we need to ask ourselves one more question and it's that the question is is Jesus worth my time does my life say that does my life say yes he's worth my time Jesus is worth all my time And I believe that there's something there. That if you can give up your time for him, you will know him, you will meet him, and you will become like him. Some next steps here. First is I'm committing my life to Jesus for the first time. If a relationship with this Savior is something that you want, check this box off and we will celebrate with you. Someone will walk through this with you, answer your questions. Please do. Second is, I will meet responsibly with a close friend or mentor and ask them how I might be able to live more like Jesus. The third one kind of goes with this, so I'll just put it up there. I won't take offense to what's said in step two, but actually follow it. We need to have more people around us to guide us and keep us accountable spiritually. And I hope that you have people like that in your life who are willing to be brave enough to tell you hard truths. Maybe point out some holes in your life. I hope that you can take this step seriously and commit your time to doing it. The fourth is I will attend Sacred Space today at 1.30 p.m. That's today. Listen, church, this is important. Um, I know many of you are tired of talking about race, but this is not going to go away. And it's not something, that, this is not the type of issue that you want to wish away. 
This is the type of issue that we need to come together as the body and we need to address together. This is the type of issue that we need to take seriously, that we need to prioritize, not because of a political agenda, not because uh, the news has said it, not because there is a movement trending, but because in the kingdom of God, God gave his image to his people. And that image is being desecrated in our black community. And that's why we take this seriously. We take this seriously because if you disagree about that, then you should come and you should disagree. And you should speak and you should also listen. This is important because as a church, we're coming together and we want to honor God in this way. We want to honor God's people in this way. So I hope you take this seriously. I hope I see you there at 1.30. The last one is, I will read Philippians 4, 1 through 9. Pastor Dan is going to be preaching for us. Prepare for it. 